0: So welcome this morning like you said my name is Erin Good and I've been on staff like a whopping three weeks so I'm super new here um but I'm really excited I'm going to be one of the campus ministers uh that gets to work with you guys so it's fun to see some faces I've been here for three or four Sundays now and so some of your faces I'm getting to know but some of you are new so welcome if this is your first time I uh sorry, this is, I'm like right in it. I went to Purdue like 20 years ago, so uh, Purdue has always been near and dear to my heart. I had like a Purdue button when I was little that played the fight song, and so pretty much since I was born, there was like no other choice for me but to come to Purdue. Like, Purdue was it. Like, there wasn't another place, because I loved Purdue with all of my heart, so it's really fun to be back here, and to be, uh, yeah, together. So, have you guys noticed that good news always leads to worship? Like when I hear something good, my initial response is like, oh my word, thank you, that's so amazing. And uh, when I was really little, we had this cat, and her name was Maddie, and she was an inside cat. And Maddie would escape every once in a while. And so one time in particular, she got away. And usually she would just kind of go right out the door and I'd be able to call her back in and it wouldn't be a very big deal, but this one time, she ran away for days. And I remember just like hunting for her and searching for her, and I couldn't find her at all. And so one day I was playing basketball, which was my other great love in life was basketball. And uh, I heard God's voice, which I didn't know it was God's voice because I was like eight at the time and it didn't register. But he said, go back and check over there. And I had just been there like looking for Maddie. And so I walked around the corner and sure enough, right where I had just been, she was right there. And I was like completely astounded and floored. And I remember... um, at a very In a season of my life, I had completely turned my back on Jesus and walked away. And I remember, like, if this was me and Jesus together, I remember walking this way. And I remember as I was walking, thinking, man, if I turn around, that's a long way to get back to him. And so I was just unsure, like, could I make that leap back? And so being like a normal, I just kept walking this way. And I remember the time when God captured my heart and I turned around. He wasn't way over there where I had left him. But when I turned around, he was right there with me. And in my mind, I was going to have to make this great walk of shame back to where I had left him. But that's not who our God is. The moment I turned around, he was pursuing me every step of the way. And the moment I turned around, that is where he met me. And it was just like my cat. I remember him reminding me of the story of my cat that just when I thought my cat had left and walked so far away, as soon as Maddie turned around, there I was to welcome her home back into safety. And I just want to tell you guys, this is the God that loves us. And this is the God that pursues us. And this is the God that knows us and wants to be so desperately known And we get to look at a little bit of this today in Psalm 103. So if you guys have your Bibles and you want to look or turn to Psalm 103, I'm just going to read it all to us real quick. Um, But this is a psalm of, like, good news. If this doesn't get you excited about who God is, like, oh, I don't even know. Because this is amazing. This is a psalm of declaration about who God is. And so it says this. It says, praise the Lord, my soul. The the NLT says, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. Don't leave any of it out, guys. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, And crowns you with love and compassion. Now you're going to notice a few times that word love is in red. Okay, keep that in mind because that's going to be an important word we're going to come back to. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. There it is again. He will not always accuse us, or the NLT says, He won't constantly accuse us, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and, it, and its place remembers it no more. But, always watch out for the big buts in the Bible, because it tells you something good's happened. That's what somebody told me. But... From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love, there it is again, is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. That's some good news, isn't it? There is a lot of amazing stuff in there, but... This psalm, and actually, who God is, there's a foundation to this. And so, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Exodus, great. If you don't, it's not a big deal. I'll kind of uh, read it to you. But back in Exodus 32, um, back in Exodus 32, Moses and the children of Israel. Um, they had escaped Egypt. And so in Exodus 32, we found out that the children of Israel had made this golden calf that they were worshiping. They were basically prostituting themselves to this, to this God. And so God was devastated and heartbroken. And so Moses is like talking with God and God is angry and saying, I'm not going to go with these people because look what they just did. I just gave myself to them. I just rescued them. And now they've just thrown it away. And so Moses is here, and in Exodus 33, verse 13, it says, he's talking to God, and it says, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways, so that I may understand you more fully, and continue to enjoy your favor. Did you hear that, let me know your ways? Do you remember that in Psalm 103, what we just read, verse 7? It said, he made known his ways to Moses. Okay, we just read that. Do you know how God answers that, that plea from Moses? God answers that plea with my all-time favorite verse in the whole entire Bible. It's in Exodus 34, 6. And God comes to Moses, and he begins to declare, declare who he is. He says, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations, and I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Did God show Moses his ways? Actually, he showed him who he was. He answered Moses' question with this declaration of himself. And it's amazing because nobody else gets that privilege. Nobody else really gets to describe God first. God comes in and says, you want to know what I'm like? Let me tell you, I am gracious and compassionate, and I am slow to anger, and I am abounding in love and faithfulness, and I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Okay, this is the foundation to everything you and I stand on. This is the foundation of who Jesus was. This is the foundation of how God loves this world. And in that Exodus 34, when he says, I am abounding in love and faithfulness, there's a special word in the Hebrew that's called hesed. And if any of you speak Hebrew in here, I'm really sorry if I just butchered that word. (laughs) Okay. I don't actually know if that's how it is said, but it's spelled H E S E D. So we're going with Hesed. Okay, you got a Midwestern American who's going to pronounce it Hesed. So that's what it is. And this Hesed is the actual this is the the foundation of all of who God is. It's the foundation of how he acts. It's the foundation of how he loves. Um, Bailey, can you put that slide up where it talks about um, it's a definition. Let me read you this definition of what it says. It says, the word has said is the descriptor par excellence of God in the Old Testament. The word speaks of a completely undeserved kindness and generosity done by a person who is in a position of power. Unlike humans, this deity was not fickle, undependable, self-serving, and grasping. Instead, He was faithful, true, upright, and generous, always. This is what this word means. We don't have a very good word in English because some of the synonyms of it are goodness, kindness, devotion, love, mercy, loving kindness, loyalty. It's all wrapped up in this one word that God uses over and over and over again to describe himself and to describe how we are to act. And so Exodus says he doesn't just have some of this. It says he's full of it. He's abounding in it. It's like overflowing. It can't be contained in him. And this is the foundation of who it is. The word in Psalm 103, remember how that love was I had it written in red? That's his said That word's listed four different times in Psalm 103. And as I read Psalm 103, I had this thought, like maybe did Paul have this psalm in mind as he was writing 1 Corinthians and that famous chapter on love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no records of wrongs. I think maybe this is part of what Paul had in mind when he was calling us, this is what love looks like. And so, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I look at God's ways and they seem a little bit confusing, or I, I don't understand them. There have been seasons in my life where I have been almost paralyzed because I had no idea what God was doing. It didn't make sense. It hasn't made sense in some family members' lives. It hasn't made sense in some friends' lives. And so I think the temptation is to look at the ways God is acting and for that to shape who he is. But if you notice with Moses, that's not what he did. Moses said, hey, I want to know how you're acting, what your ways are. And God's answer to him was, this is who I am. Okay, and so we have to look at life through that lens. We have to filter everything through who God is, who he said he was, and that then shapes how he acts because he can never be contrary to himself. If God says, I am faithful, that's who he is, then he will always act faithfully even if I don't understand it. Does that make sense? Okay, and so... That's what we need, that is what we're going to look at the rest of this psalm through, is that foundation of who he is, because who he is always shapes how he acts. How he acts doesn't shape who he is. Okay, I want us to get that, I want us to remember that. Hopefully you will. Okay, so looking back to Psalm 103, all right? So, that is the foundation, who God said He was. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, that hesed, that undeserved kindness, that undeserved thing. And so, the rest of it, even though that's kind of in the middle, we're going to look at it, and this is how His hesed is worked out. Okay, this is what hesed looks like in our lives, in the kingdom of God, and every day. And so, Go back up to verse 2 in Psalm 103. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Okay? One of our greatest calls in life is to remember. Remember who God is. Remember how he loves you. Don't forget because it's in the hard times that we want to forget. But we are called to always remember. And he says, okay, now let's look at what good things he's done. Okay, verse 3, he forgives some sins. He forgives all your sins. He forgives. He heals, David said. He redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with love and compassion. You are royalty. He crowns you with love and compassion, the Lord, and he satisfies your desires with good things so that your, rene- your youth is renewed like the eagles. He works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Okay? Are those some benefits? Absolutely. Let's not forget that this is who he is. Because it's based on his hesed. And so he will always act accordingly because he cannot be unfaithful to himself. Okay, and look at verse 9. Verse 1 through 8 was all about what God had done personally from David. And all of a sudden he switches to, um, actually, verse 10. It says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He went from something personal to now he's calling everyone, hey, come on, now all of us, look at this, remember. And it's like in the beginning, he just can't contain himself. He just can't hold it in, like, let all that I am, praise the Lord. Let me tell you how he is. And he, boom, 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 boom. And then he's like, and I can't keep this to myself, so you guys, come with me. Remember, this is who he is. I have a son who's 12, his name's Cleveland, and he does this very thing. Like, right now, his most favorite thing in the whole world is the NBA. And if you talk to him, he's going to be like, I just can't contain myself. Like, let me tell you all about the NBA. He does that with food. If you meet him, he's going to make you try something at one point in your life that you may not want to try, but that he thinks is so good. Okay, so just be prepared for it because that's, that's him to a T. But it's like, it's like he has something in him, Cleveland does, it's like burning And it's like he's just gonna wither and die if he can't share it with you because he feels like you're missing out. And this is the sense that David is writing in this psalm. Like, oh, this is burning in me. And And if I just can't keep it in because if I keep it in, you're gonna miss out on who this God is. And so he comes and he takes us with him and he says, don't you forget. This is who our God is. This is how he loves us. This is how his said is shown to us every single day. Come on. Okay, and so he keeps walking us through. His said is more powerful than his anger and disappointment at our wrongdoing. That's a hard one for me to remember, especially because I'm a perfectionist. And if I don't get it right, I'm like, Ugh. That's not what this says. His, has said, is stronger than my failure. And so it keeps going. I'm not going to go through every verse again. Um, But it talks about in verse 13 about the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Do you know that word fear him? That just means someone who like really desires to live for God. That like this desire to honor him and live for him. And so that's what he's talking about here, someone that just desires to live with him. And then verse 19, one of my favorites, it says this, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So in case you're kind of wondering how he could do all of this, it's because he's king. And his kingdom rules over all. And David at that point could have like dropped the mic and been like, boom, that's it. He's the king. His kingdom rules over all. That's all you need to know. And so because of that, he has authority to forgive. He has authority to love. He has authority to cast our sins as far as the east is from the west because he is the king. So part of our journey this summer isn't just going through the psalms. It's talking about what the backstory is. And so you might have noticed at the beginning of this psalm, it said that it was a psalm of David. And so what, what does his said look like in the life of someone? I'm going to share a story today of someone in the Bible who saw God's has said up close and personal, and it wasn't David, actually. It's from a gal named Naomi, and Naomi would have raised David's grandfather. At the end of the book of Ruth, Ruth actually birthed David's grandfather, but at the end of the book of Ruth, in, verse, in chapter 4, 16 and 17, it says, Naomi cared for him as her own. And the town began to declare, look, Naomi has a son. But what was Naomi's story? What was that? When I mention people who have suffered greatly, who are some people that you think of? I bet maybe you think of Job as someone. Maybe Jesus maybe Paul, but I bet not very many of you would think Naomi. I bet she's not the first one that comes to mind when you think of somebody that's suffered, and so the book of Ruth is actually one of my favorite books in all of the Bible, and it's come alive to me in the last couple years. I've read this book. It's really amazing. If you want a good book, you should read this. It's called The Gospel of Ruth by Carolyn Custis James, and as I read this, I just my mind was blown. You ever had one of those books where you're like, oh my word. It's like, how did I not see this before? So if you want that experience, you should read this book. But anyways, we've kind of treated the book of Ruth before as this like romance between Boaz and Ruth. And that's what like the whole story was about. And I'm going to burst your bubble a little bit this morning. Like, I think we've missed it. When that's all we've seen this beautiful story as is as this romance between these two. I feel like we've seen this, this much of it when God wants to show us that much of it. And so the book of Ruth, I wanna say, asks this question. Has the Hassed of God run out for Naomi? Has God's hased run out for her? Um, in the first five verses of the book of Ruth, I usually kind of read those fast and I don't really take much time. I'm going to talk about them quite a bit today because they paint this picture of what Naomi's story was really like. And it said, um, I'm just going to read it really quick. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. I'm gonna stop at verse one here. Okay, did you catch that? There was a severe famine in the land. Famine. The famine was so bad that it drove Naomi and her family out away from their land, making them refugees. So in this first verse, we see that they're refugees. We met some Syrian refugees a few years ago, that still carried their house keys. They carried their house keys because they never wanted to leave their home in the first place, and their heart's greatest desire was to still go back. Okay? These, Naomi and her family, they were driven from the promised land, their inheritance, everything God had promised them, they were driven from that because they were hungry. They didn't have enough food, and so they became refugees in a great little country. No, they became refugees in Moab, which were Israel's enemies, and Moab was a nation that was started because Lot and his daughter had an incestuous relationship. And so Naomi and her family moved from the Promised Land, everything that they had hoped and dreamed of, into this land that were their enemies, into a land that served these foreign gods who didn't want them there any more than they wanted to be there. And this is verse one. I had never stopped to think of that, what that would have been like for Naomi and her family. And then it gets worse because then her husband dies, leaving Naomi a widow and again, it's not just any widow. It's a widow in the, in the land that's not Israel, away from family, away from all she would have ever known. And then, if to make it worse, both of her sons die while she's there. Guys, I'm on like verse 3 or 4 of this right now. So, everything that could have given Naomi any identity at all, wife, mother, land, Israelite is completely wiped away. It's all gone, all in a matter of five verses. Can you imagine what that would have been like for her? Can you imagine the depth of her suffering? And then to top it off, her boys got married but the women that they were married to were barren for 10 years. It wasn't like they were married a year and didn't have babies 10 years. These women did not were not able to have babies. And unlike Job, Naomi was a woman. And because she was a woman, she had no voice. She had no way to get a job. She had no one to speak on her behalf because she was voiceless in this culture. And so there was no recourse against any injustice that might have come to her. Can you imagine the despair that Naomi would have felt? The hopelessness? I can't even begin to fathom it. Everything that Naomi would have walked through would have screamed that she was cursed that God was angry with her, that maybe she had even done something wrong. All of her circumstances were screaming one thing. An old, poor, refugee widow with barren daughters-in-law. Again, the book of Ruth asks the question, has God's hased run out for Naomi? Is it gone? Naomi, Naomi declares, I went away full, but God, you have brought me back empty. So Bailey, can you put up the next slide? I'm going to read another definition of Hesed again. Um, bear with me on this one. It says, said is a strong Hebrew word that sums up the ideal lifestyle for God's people. It's the way God intended for human beings to live together from the beginning. The love your neighbor as yourself brand of living. An active, selfless, sacrificial caring for one another that goes against the grain of our fallen natures. Two parties are involved. Someone in desperate need and a second person who possesses the power and resources to make a difference. said, is driven not by duty or legal obligation, but by a bone-deep commitment, a loyal, selfless love that motivates a person to do voluntarily what no one has a right to expect or ask of them. They have the freedom to walk away without the slightest injury to their reputation. Yet, they willingly pour themselves out for the good of someone else. It's actually the kind of love we find most fully expressed in Jesus. In a nutshell, his said is the gospel lived out. The gospel lived out. You're good at my expense. This is his said. So, has God's his said run out for Naomi? The answer is an emphatic no. It has not. And his his said begins to show up in his people. And it begins with this beautiful declaration by Ruth in verse 16 of chapter 1. It says this. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. This is Ruth's pledge to Naomi. This isn't her pledge to Boaz, which sometimes we, you know, think this is what the story is about. No, this is, this pledge, this oath will define, will, will determine the way that Ruth acts the rest of this story. The kind of love that she is going to get to give to Naomi, the kind of love that she's going to call Boaz up into as well. This pledge is, is like her launching point, and everything that Ruth does is from this. It's this beautiful answer to the question, has God's said run out? Absolutely not. And it begins with one of the most unlikely persons in the whole story Ruth would have been despised at worst and overlooked at best because she was a foreign, barren widow, okay? There was nothing that shouted she had anything to give. There was nothing that would have spoken like, oh, this is God's choice over here, this one who looks really good, Absolutely not. She was the least likely person to begin to express God's has said. But isn't it just like Jesus that he uses the unlikely? Isn't it just like him to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong? And so the rest of the story of the book of Ruth is this actions, these actions, this love that's declared that says, Naomi. God's has said has never run out for you. And it will never run out for you. Because in the end, Ruth restores to Naomi what she couldn't do. And that baby that Ruth ends up having and then gives to Naomi. Can you imagine being barren 10 years? And I guarantee I guarantee that her heart longed for a baby. She was married 10 years. I guarantee that was a desire of her heart. Can you imagine that when she finally had that baby, the act of love that it took to give her very best away, she gave it away she declared God's love Naomi for you has not run out oh i want to name a child ruth i think because i look at her and i think she gave away her best that is his said this is what god loves us with this is what he this is how he calls us to love others with this giving away our best ruth and boaz together Boaz is amazing in this story, and I'm not even going to talk about him. But he's amazing because he sacrificially gives to show Naomi. God's love hasn't run out for you yet. I mean, he does the, he does the like, big things. He marries Ruth, which was big. But he also does the small things. When they came back to Bethlehem, you better believe they were still hungry. And, Ruth, and Boaz feeds them the simple, everyday things, too, that also communicates God's love has not run out for you, okay? And Naomi, she even shows God's love because her very best, Ruth, was the only thing that she had. And she gives her away as she says, go and make your home with Boaz, okay? So I love the book of Ruth because it's this beautiful picture of, like, Everyone preferring one another. And everyone at the end, like the book ends with the whole town worshiping. The whole town is exclaiming. They're like, praise the Lord. And because of the way that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz lived, it was like they called the rest of the town up into, do you see who our God is? This is who he is. And so Naomi... Remember, raised David's grandfather. And so this would have been the stories that David heard as he was growing up. This would have formed who he was and how he thought. And so when we look back at Psalm 103, you know what? I think I can look in here and see some of the stuff that Naomi would have declared from her whole story. Verse 3 says this, "...who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases." I think that would have meant a lot to Naomi. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Hello. Her life was in the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion. Six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. That was her story. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to their children's children. This was Naomi's story. This is what she passed down. This is what David would have caught. And so I look at this psalm and I think, man, this psalm isn't just good news This psalm is great news. This is a psalm of great news. Because I get to look at this and I think, oh, this is who God is. And it's based on his own declaration of himself, so it can't be a lie. Not to say there's days I'm not going to doubt it. And not to say there's days I'm not going to wrestle through it. But this is who God's is. So, how about you? Where do you need God's has said to show up in your life? Are there things that you're facing and struggling? Do you have doubts or struggles or questions? Those aren't bad, guys. That's the state of life. That's where we are. I have had many seasons of wrestling with God. And as I wrestled with Him, not apart from Him, but as I wrestled with Him, it's been this beautiful picture because as I come out on the other side, God's not gotten smaller, but He's gotten bigger. And it's caused me to fall in love with him even more as I've wrestled through some of my deepest struggles and doubts with him. Jacob wrestled with God and he said, I will not let go until you bless me. As we wrestle and struggle, don't let go, but wrestle and struggle. It's okay. It's good because he's big enough to walk you through it and to get you through it. And so if Psalm 103 is God's posture towards me, if I can read this and think he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies, he works, if that is true for me, guess what? That's his posture for others as well. And so just like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz they were waiting for God's answer. They were waiting to see, God, has your said run out? What does your said look like now? They didn't just wait for it. They were waiting for it, but they also turned, and they got to be the answer for what God's said looked like in the lives of others. And I think that's a challenge for us. I think we can receive his said, we get to, he lavishes this on us, but we also then get to extend it to others. We get to take our very best, the things that God has given us, and we get to give it away to communicate what God's love looks like in the life of others. Go to grace, how